The Medallion, Chapter 44 Taking his bearings from the shrouded statue at the temple karst, Corvin cautiously worked his way through the broken side of Kadir towards the central plaza. A dense cloud of dust hung over the rocky crags beyond the City of the Dead, but that couldn't be from the collapse of the tower in Kataelba. The tunnel he had just traveled through had emerged far down near the falls at the abyss, cleverly disguised behind curtains of grey stone-like vines that hung off the rocks near the water. As he lifted his hand, the folds of his tunic rubbed against his forearm and he winced. It wasn't until he had emerged into Kadir that he had checked the cut on his arm from the arrow up on the tower. He had washed and bandaged the wound near the falls, but there could be no doubt in Kale's mind as to where he had gone. His trail of blood in the tunnel would allow the Rakash to track him as soon as they could clear the rubble under the collapsed tower. His fingers touched his chest and Corvin forced his hand back to his side. Kale's lifelight potion was virtually weightless, but he was constantly aware of the glowing pouch resting over his heart. At times it almost felt like it pulsed along with every beat of his own heart. When he had taken his tunic off to bandage the wound on his arm, he had set the pouch off to one side, but even as he took care of the immediate need of his wound, his eyes kept drifting over to the light coming from the symbols. They were similar to the ones on the hammer in the medallions, but more elongated, as if the pouch itself was being stretched out by the light trying to escape from inside. The liquid inside that pouch would instantly heal his wound, but that was not what he really wanted. Watching that single drop form and fall into Sark's mouth, catching the scent of it as the long shiver went through the lizard's body, had left no doubt that if he opened the pouch and took it out, he would try a drop himself but he had a mission to complete. It would be best to leave it here for now and not even carry it along with him. Finishing wrapping up his arm, he put his tunic back on and dug a hole in the sand near the rock face where the tunnel came out. Grabbing the cord, he pulled the pouch over and toppled it inside. Forcing himself to not even look at the glowing symbols in the bottom of the small pit, he covered it over with sand and stood to his feet. Something bumped his leg, and he looked down to see the sand-covered sachet still hanging from the cord in his left hand. He did not have the will to let it go and leave it behind, but maybe that was for the best. If someone else would find it here, they would use it, and the potion could kill them. He needed to take it along with him. Looping it back around his neck, he made his way along the river in the fog that swirled in from the falls. As he crept along in the shadows, his thoughts kept turning back to Teak and the pool. Why would Teak poison the elixir if she was completely opposed to the killing of the Rakash boy? He tried convincing himself that he only imagined her pouring something into the water where his father was submerged, but he could not let the image go. It could possibly have been one of the other potions she carried. No matter what happened, he couldn't do anything about it now. He needed to concentrate on getting to the palace and finding Kate. Just ahead was the central plaza of Kadir with its broken statue. Crouching in behind the fountain wall that circled the stone figures, he found the gate into the palace side of Kadir wide open without a soldier in sight. Circling to the right, he ran across to the side of the gate and ducked beneath the guardhouse windows. Shouldn't they be coming from the ceremony by now? A nasal voice came from the window just over his head. We should shut the gate. It's not good to leave it open. You've obviously never heard the high priest give a speech, the second voice growled. It came from a doorway just ahead, and it belonged to the guard with the rotten teeth he had run into at the temple karst when he'd rescued Tirith. The voice above Corvin responded. When I saw the high priest fall into the water, I knew he had something up his sleeve. Yeah, right, the low voice retorted from the doorway. You thought he drowned just like the rest of us. I bet he was hiding out in the palace this whole time. 
telling Tirith how to rule and getting things set up to have her marry the captain of the guard. Where did you hear that? Kareg told me. And you believed him? Kareg's a liar. The boot and belly withdrew from the doorway. Better watch what you say. Kareg's been promoted. I didn't know, the voice above whined. I never meant anything by it. You'd better be more careful with your words. With the captain of the guard killed in the fight with the Roseanne rebels, there will be a few more promotions coming down. I'm putting in for one. I said I was sorry. There was a pause, and the low voice came from farther back in the building. No use waiting by the window. The remaining rebels have fled back to Roseanne, and the palace guard has sealed off the tunnel to their dark city. They won't trouble us anymore. No matter what we think of our old high priest, he certainly dealt with that lunatic and his pathetic followers. Jord only helped them get into the city. We can only hope he joined them as the priest of their dead city and rots in the darkness. You might as well come back here and enjoy the spiced wine I picked up at the barracks. I like the way you think, the nasal voice responded as it faded into the room. You do deserve a promotion. Corvin crawled to the door and peered around the edge. The two guards were sitting at the table on the far side of the room with their backs to the door. Corvin slipped past the door then ran up the street. Ahead, the entrance to the terrace plaza in front of the palace was also unguarded. Corvin stepped inside the shadows of the arch and scanned the empty expanse. The smaller doors leading to the priest building hung from broken hinges, and the main doors to the palace compound were wide open. Long black banners were draped from the windows. A man's distant voice echoed off the plaza walls from up at the temple karst. Two guards stood in the doorway to the seating area, engrossed in the action inside. Corvin moved toward them, ducking down behind the stone pedestals that supported the rove metal lamppost. He was about to make a run for the last lamppost when a hooded figure ran at him from the priest's quarters, gesturing frantically. The man reached him, grabbed his tunic, and pulled him down behind the lamppost base. Palace honor guard, the man whispered. Stay down. Corvin heard the tramp of feet behind the pedestal. A group of soldiers bearing an ornate platform on their shoulders marched up toward the temple karst. The man squeezed his shoulder. Wait here for me. The crowds will be coming out soon. Keep your hood over your eyes and don't talk with anyone. I will come back for you after the procession goes by. Corvin turned back to the man, but he was already gone, melting into the shadows along the far wall of the plaza. Corvin leaned back against the pedestal. There was something familiar about the man, but that didn't mean he could be trusted. Every day that went by, there were fewer people he could trust. He glanced down at his hands, the fingernails tinged with blue around the edges. He let his sleeves slide past his fingertips. He didn't even trust himself anymore. A sharp jab in his side, and he jerked his head up to find the wrinkled face of an old woman looking down at him, a twisted walking stick in her hand. Have some respect for the princess, young man. The old woman poked him with her stick. Get on your feet. She'll be passing by shortly. Corvin mumbled an apology and was barely standing upright by the base of the lamppost when a crowd swarmed about him, all jostling for position against the line of guards that were forming a barrier between the lines of lampposts. Corvin stood on his toes to see past the soldier in front of him. A mournful tune filled the air as a chorus of women came into view, each face a mask of sorrow. They sang of Tirith, of her bravery against the chief watcher and how she returned the hammer of the ancients to the core. They sang of her, Death. Yes, the words of the song were clear. Tirith was dead. Tirith's father stepped along behind the women. The high priest's hood was thrown back and his eyes fixed straight ahead. His beard was trimmed and his posture one of great control. A murmur of awe rolled through the crowd at his passing, but he appeared indifferent to the sound. 
Behind the high priest came the funeral bier, borne by six soldiers in dress uniform. The people pressed forward, blocking Corbin's view, and without thinking he jumped up on the base of the lamppost for a better view. A woman in a white gown lay on the top of the bier, her face covered in a white veil and her hands laid out at her sides. Corvin blinked back tears. Tirith had been the bravest person he had ever met. The litter passed by his perch and Corvin wiped away the tears with the back of his sleeve. The buyer was right in front of him now, holding on to the lamppost he leaned out. He could just make out Tirith's face under the veil and the scar on her cheek. His gaze swept down her arm and then locked on the hand hanging free of the shroud. A shock went through his body, for the wrist sticking out from under the cloth was encircled by a dark, twisted bruise. The light from a torch momentarily pushed the shadows below the veil away. It was Kate. Corvin lost his grip and tumbled down on the crush of bodies below. Hands thrust him up over their heads and pushed him back behind the crowd to fall in a heap. Jumping to his feet, he tried to follow the buyer, but angry voices muttered at him as the crowd blocked his way and moved to follow the procession. Corvin slumped down against the stone pillar. Boots hit his legs as people moved past him, but he didn't feel them. Corvin buried his face in his hands. His stomach churned. He had decided too late to look for Kate, and now she was dead. Someone grabbed his shoulder. Corvin pulled away, but the person crouched down in front.